0: Howdy, folks. It is Tuesday, September thirteenth, two thousand eleven. This is episode sixteen C of the Bad Dog Book Club. I'm Skip Ruddertail, your otter editor, and with me, as always, even though he's not with me, is... Toons
1: is the driving... the uh, reluctant driving cat. But should we, should we explain the the Part C thing here? Like, what exactly what happened?
0: Yes, yes. So, uh, we are recording remotely for the first time ever. Uh, and trying to set up a little bit of a Skype thing because somebody forgot to bring their microphone with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, somebody. somebody.
1: Somebody that's not Skip and is involved in this Maybe podcast. Maybe a cat.
0: <laughs> or a raccoon. One or the other. Uh, forgot his microphone. And normally how people do these things, when you talk to like Cam Hirosaki and stuff, they bring their own regular recording gear along, and they do a Skype chat but with headphones on, and they just have their normal microphones set up next to them. So it will record one half of the conversation. Their partner at the other location will have one half of the conversation recorded, and then you put them together later Hot on. tips, let's go. Uh, Yes, there you go, because I had no idea, but this is what everybody does, apparently. So we were going to do this, but you know, we, we had a little slip-up with the microphones, so... Uh, Toons' partner will be bringing that up before next time. But anyway, so we had to kind of do a little workaround with the Skype thing. We set it up last night. We did the show and I discovered I had used the wrong mic on my computer and so my sound half was totally fucked up. So that's why we're episode C because episode B was is lost to puster. And- I guess technically we have half of it. Um, if, if people want, but it'd be a very weird conversation. Like two. Just me talking talk with talk myself like I usually do. Yeah, but with long, long pauses in between. Yeah,
1: where I'm listening inquisitively uh, and going, so, Yeah, yeah,
0: right. So between the two of us, we might eventually get a show out, and hopefully this mm-hmm. is it. Uh um, yeah, so this week we are discussing foosballs You can't you can never go home. Uh, and it was read for us this week by Soren. Um, who I thought did a great job, and Andrew Spaul did a great job of the story. So, uh, let's, let's we actually get down to it. Let's discuss it.
1: All right. We did get a nasty comment on the reading, though. Should we?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. What was that about? Or? I don't know. I thought it was
1: really rude, though. I I just I wanted to point it out just because I don't know. I thought for, through like maybe 15 episodes, I was really surprised at how we had not gotten like a single. Like nasty or negative comment about anything. We'd gotten some constructive kind of, you know, negative responses, but, you know, just hadn't really been into a story, didn't quite get what they liked. And You know, we've even had our own points there, like, a couple of weeks ago, and I just, you know, you know, me and Spark just didn't like uh, our floor story, but like we just got, like, for the first time, like, a sincerely mean-spirited comment from somebody who just was saying nasty things about somebody who was only volunteering their time for something that we all think is just a fun project to be involved with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. This was really, you know, we've had people say they weren't fans of the story or even they weren't fans of a reading, and I'm okay with that. You know, it's totally fine to not like a story and not like a reading. Um, you know, we have a couple people who are readers who are semi-professionals, uh, like Sparf, for example, but most of our readers are not. Uh, certainly you and I aren't. Um, so there are going to be some slip-ups, and this guy was really about, oh, he pronounced some words and blah, uh, you like, know. He was saying out. quays
1: instead of keys. And but he was really speakers, doing it, really. I mean, come on.
0: He was really doing it not in a this will help you for next time, or here's a tip, or I didn't like this, maybe the author, the reader could have done that. It was just like, this guy's terrible, and you're terrible. And, you know, I had this very nice, you know, reasoned response saying, these people are volunteers, and, that, 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 and we're doing this because we love it. And personally, I thought the reading was fine. Um, you know, a couple of mispronunciations, who cares? Uh, but I thought the reading was great. Um, I liked your response, though. Which was, if if I remember correctly, um, you cannot read it, or you can eat a bug. Which was very <laughs> erudite of you. Well, I, I appreciate. It. I think it perfectly. Uh, it, you played your role well, in this podcast perfectly <laughs> in the forum, so that was excellent. I was whatever. very pleased. I, was very I just kind of feel
1: like well, I, I really feel like the the whole idea is it should be like a book club atmosphere, like some, going to someone's place and having yeah. having a good time. If someone was just talking trash and somebody else it's like a a social gathering yeah, That's that's not cool
0: Well, and, and you you folks, you know, you guys know When you've crossed the line from Critique into being an asshole You know, you should know that If you're not sure, ask um, Or, you know, take it out on us Send something yeah, to me
1: I kind of like the abuse or,
0: Yeah, right <laughs> um, You know, send something to me But don't take it out on one of our readers or our writers You know, critique is fine But don't be an asshole that's enough about that. Um, so yeah, let's get into some uh, critique of the story. What did you? I mean, what did you think of the story overall, or what is your mm-hmm. gut feeling about
1: well, the story? It was an interesting read for me because one of the the first genres of literature that I really got into was uh, post World War II uh, anti war literature, and I I mm-hmm. said it in kind of a minor degree because really it consisted mostly of me really getting into Catch twenty two. And I saw some uh, uh-huh. and and okay. Kurt Vonnegut as well. And I saw some similarities yes. here in the story between uh, kind of the jarred time frame reference in a sense, like like a uh, and uh, the jarred sense of identity in the story compared to the jarred time references in uh, Catch Twenty Two. And also, there's a specific reference to uh, I, I can't remember the specific Kurt Vonnegut work, but he says for him. Uh, home is Indianapolis when he was seven years old. So really, you can't go home again. He's saying this after I believe coming back <laughs> from war or something like that. Do you want to elaborate
0: on that a little more? Home is Indianapolis, and so you can't. Well, go because
1: home. home isn't necessarily just a geographic location. It's uh, a time or a state of mind. It's something that is, you know, temporal.
0: I guess yeah no I think you're right you know this is and that that's the main problem in this story I mean obviously you can physically go home unless this is a ghost story but let's and of course that. I don't think it is I think that's a remote possibility but we can clear you out can't turn there. back um, the hands
1: of time is more or less the idea here
0: right right your you know, home if you are right is is a state of mind in this case and in a way of thinking about the world or being um, and that has been irrevocably changed mm-hmm. for him by his experiences fighting this war, and he feels it's obvious in the restaurant scene. He feels that the people back home, their view hasn't been, and I think there's kind of this this feeling on his part that he will contaminate or destroy their world just by his presence there. Right. And so there's a little bit of a, what's trying to be a. A selfless act um, that he feels out of place on his own, but he feels like he shouldn't belong there because he'll destroy their world, like the toxic rain that they the way can't. The his check. has been destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Symbolism there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then that was that was kind of scary. Some some shadowing of. It's an interesting world because I feel like it's sort of not too far future. You know, it's like thirty it, years or something.
1: It seems the weird kind of sci-fi that is like um parallel present to me, where it almost seems like it's supposed to be going along at like a like this specific point in, in time history, but almost as if like a different critical events had uh, happened differently in the past, you know what I mean? So it just almost mm-hmm. like just shifting a location or something like that without having mm-hmm. to push it and put it too far I, farther, I back not know like the jar ahead of us
0: but it's, it's because but it, some of the technology, like the the range, I think the
1: splitting hairs obviously is, it is kind of bio, like, like the contemporary political issues. So I think it's kind of splitting right. hairs to say, oh, yes. but there there are a few several several years ahead in technology. Yes. And yeah, it's obviously speculative fiction. Well,
0: that goes back to your that goes back to your original point that uh, this reminded you of some of the anti-war uh, work that came out of World War II, um, and that this particular story is definitely from a movement or a genre uh, that's in response to Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, how... Let's not
1: forget the other military engagements we have in the Middle East. I mean, it's not just Iraq and Afghanistan that are the ones we're doing, or are the bad ones. There's tons Mm -hmm. more.
0: But, you know, I think they are starting to produce a whole series, a whole body... Of work um, in novels and in films and in magazine articles that are, you know, reflecting on the unique aspects of these wars, and so starting to produce their own little literary sub genre of, you know, post uh, war on terror, whatever you want to call this period, uh, literature. And I feel this very much fits into that, and in that you know, this this is soldier. In a foreign land, who, um, you know, is surrounded by people who you know, look different from him, and he doesn't know who he can trust and who he can't. And so the whole world, uh, when he comes back, he can't see the world as anything other than anything here might be waiting to kill me, or you know, around any corner is a potential trap, because that's what he's had to think like to survive for the last couple of years. Um, and it really captures, and that's something that hasn't changed. So even if the um, kind of these specific wars or the specific uh, political situations around these wars kind of produce, to an extent, different mindsets, I think the feeling of being in a war and coming home and making that transition—very
1: much what's being canonized is as something the that's
0: issue universal And this literature—is post-traumatic stress disorder and its effect yes, on soldiers. Yes, that is, this guy uh, really has
1: it. Yeah, I guess the, the yeah. crux of the story is it's a, an, an inter- it's a very internal story. There isn't much uh, in terms of an, a narrative of events occurring. It's a, it's a lot of just uh, kind of mental wanderings through a, a mm-hmm. bleak landscape, basically, which I, you could probably kind of play stylistically
0: maybe in the, the post-World War II literature as well that's interesting, something about the framework of the story, because I, I always like it when authors do this in that in terms of the narrative and the structure of their story, and even the prose style, they construct their story in a way that reflects the mental landscape of their protagonist, or the worldview of their protagonist. Um, in that, you know, here we have a guy who is you know shell shocked. Um, he's kind of the original term for post traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. uh, but is shell shocked and is wandering around, and that things are not happening linearly. There's a little bit of a fog and there's a little bit of a, sur- a surrealism when it comes to timelines or um, in order events. Yeah, the ages kind of uh, sink and up. He's hopping line, right? back and forth as things pop into his brain in a disconcerting way, and the story is written to reflect that. Um, it's interesting, too, that you mentioned Catch-22 and, and some of these post-World War stories, because the kind of structure of the story reminded me a little bit of New Wave cinema, or French New Wave cinema, which was also uh, a post-war phenomena, starting in 1950s and onwards, where you had Um, you had a rejection of kind of classical cinema storytelling, linear storytelling Mm -hmm. and you had a rejection of kind of classical editing and visual styles in a lot of cases Um, so you had these kind of somewhat unusual and surrealistic stories that flowed in odd ways uh, and they were dealing with ideas that were very intense um, compared to a lot of earlier cinema. They were dealing with, you know, the effects of war and poverty and, and all in great kind of social so, ideas so and conflicts. So they're radical, um, and and this kind of reminds me of that and its its framework and flow and structure and what it's discussing.
1: You're saying it's it's less like a, a stage show. It's a uh more direct in its approach. What's the oh, what's that term with like um, it's being didactic in its approach. And it's um mm-hmm. adopting more to the the modern uh mediums is that what you're saying here?
0: Yeah, or the postmodern. The postmodern. Um you know this is well, obviously New Wave would have been modern. New Wave would have been modern. Um but the beginnings of what would later be postmodernity. So at least, in an anthropo- anthropo- at least in an anthropological way, which is my background, um, if you want to talk, if you want to look at modernity versus postmodernity, so modernity is '40s, '50s. Um, it is uh, an ordered world in an ordered universe. In an economic sense, it's Henry Ford and River Rouge. So everything is, you know, built and designed. From, you go, right. you put iron ore in one end of the plant, and you come out with cars in the other, all in one place. Right. And it's incredibly organized. Um, and that's kind of how you view the world. The world has a set of rules and principles. Uh, in, in science terms, I suppose you could like liken modernity to Newtonian physics. So there are a set of laws, and everything obeys these laws. Uh, postmodernity would be more Einstein Heisenberg, so everything obeys laws except when it doesn't uh, or except when you get down to very small uh, spaces, you know things start doing random things and so the postmodern world is an inherently unstable world rather than a stable one.
1: And this is an instable character um, like by definition
0: exactly, exactly. it's actually
1: kind of so. uh, split between two different characters in a way. That's one character
0: right it, 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 you know postmodernity is there there aren't clear answers um, in stories that are you know postmodern framework and, and movies are you know there aren't clear good guys or bad guys you know so all the popular comic book adaptations now you know in the modern era they would have been you know, here's Batman. Here's Superman, and they have problems, but they're good guys. And in the postmodern one, they might have really serious problems, or be like very gray characters, or do very bad things occasionally, and so they aren't really good guys. Um, so there's some examples, and I'm sure people will quibble with me and disagree, but that's okay. Feel free to do so in the comments.
1: No, oh, sure. Um, I wish more people would shout me down in the comments. So that'd be fun. Because, I mean, yeah. it, it would be good to be able to, like, lose my aggressivity every once in a while. Except, you know, nobody ever touches me. You do, like, yes. I,
0: uh... Well, Sparf, we went, uh, went to a ball game with Sparf and Manji as partner uh, last week, a Nats game. And we were talking about, well, I was saying, you know, I'm an anthropologist. I, I like, I watch people, I study, I see what they do. How they react to things, what they think about things, how they feel. And I said, You do that too, but whereas I like, you know, sitting back and watching, you do it in a way that you say or do outrageous and upsetting things that you usually don't even believe yourself, just to provoke a reaction.
1: That's the and then conversation. The so
0: that's how that's how you study their behavior, is you stir up the nest and then see what people do. Uh, so, we, uh, you know, I'm just saying, there's nothing Bro, wrong with that. that's just what I uh, want you to say. Say, But you are also a you know, study of human behavior. <laughs> you just go about it in a more proactive approach than I do. You are
1: also a study so of human behavior, Is the worst come along line I've ever gotten.
0: <laughs> no, I'm way more directed than that. <laughs> it's like, take off your pouch There you go. Uh, so. But yeah, this story is like, like a good postmodernist story. I think it kind of left me in a lot of ways being like, not totally sure I know what happened in it.
1: Um, you have to do some like some kind of like syncing up of the dates and like, almost like hard math to kind of figure out what's, being, what's going on in the story here, which uh, we believe is that this one character is being split up into, into two to you know, get across this idea of a dislodged identity. And he's coming home and he feels uh like a stranger while he's in his own in his own uh home. And they're also compounding this might be just the semi-futuristic concept where uh like so like uh, these free soldiers are cloned or something like that. I don't know.
0: Well right, that that's a
1: couple I guess, you know, maybe I mean you were telling me about this and I, I lost I lost track halfway through, so maybe you can explain it to me again. Okay.
0: Well I, there are a couple things. I guess, you know, the first question is, okay, our protagonist is Everin, um, who is a dog person, and yes, uh, there are little hints in the stories, and he has a whole universe. This is the War Dog series. This is a story from that. Um, so we should point War. that out. You can check him out as Foosball and F.A. Uh, foosball. Foosball. With three Zs. That's important. But... This is, you know, one story from this universe, and I haven't read all of them, but I believe they're genetically engineered dogs who, at some point in the recent past, were, you know, went from being basically slaves to being actual citizens. But, Uh, as we know in America, as we know in America history carries a big weight, so even though they're citizens, you definitely get signs and feelings that um, you know, they're, they're, that's not the same as being, you know, white middle class and wealthy, let's put it that way, um, and male. Uh, so there are definitely some disadvantages, and that's probably one of the reasons he's in the military and a lot of his friends are in the military because it's an opportunity that's accessible to them. Uh, but so we've got Everin who is our protagonist and probably because, you know, we follow Everin's story here and him, him arriving home in his home city, San Yedras and, you know, walking around in these flashbacks to being in Tajikistan, uh, and where obviously during his tour, there was an ambush and, uh, Several other people in his platoon were killed mm-hmm. um, including uh, and Enzweiler uh, who you know was, was Snowden secret basically graphic metaphor yes there's Enzweiler who's killed and there's some other people who are killed he talks about people over at the machine gun nesting in the base and they could hear them and microphone you know dying uh, which is terrible. Um, But he gets to this town And he goes into A restaurant Right Mm -hmm. Which is just a little You know storefront restaurant in this town Run by a family Um, Everyone loved his family That's pointed out He would have written Home to them every day if he could have And so he goes into this little restaurant And there's a waitress there Who's a girl who's 14 And he's 21 so he's 7 years older from her Well, then we go on to find out as we read the story that um, when he was little, when he was 13, he took his sister who was six to the pier and, you know, gave her ice cream. And this is one of his happy, you know, back home memories that he can't go back to. Um, So he's... Seven years older than her. Well, here's a girl in a restaurant who he is seven years older than, and there's a woman and a man who are the girl's parents who run the restaurant. And then we learn that um, Evren's family uh, is seven. You know, has a sister who's seven years younger from him and has parents who run a restaurant. So we get a question then: Is this the world's largest coincidence? done for the sake of storytelling. Mm, Um, or... Right. right. Or, are these actually... Is is this actually his family? Um, and I kind of wonder about that, because we do know from these hints that they're genetically modified, that you probably... It's probably hard to tell these dog people apart very easily, if they're siblings. Um, and and there'll be hundreds or thousands of siblings. It sounds like, and so that's why there's a little bit of trepidation. Um, and clearly, she, the waitress is awkward. Um, she hesitated, staring at him for a while, but nicely, kindly. Um, do you want to see? She's trying to figure out who he is. I think she's trying to figure out if this is her brother. Finally, they ask his name, and instead of answering them, which is weird he pulls out these dog tags uh, Ray, Everett, Everett. and they say oh E that's nice do you know our son Scartho have you heard of him and he says he doesn't so I thought is this is our protagonist actually Scartho this is how you and are the, is this his family?
1: This is how you very excellently manage a, a point of confusion in a story where, like we've covered before, sometimes sometimes when you leave something vague and un, a little open to interpretation, it's a little bit ungratifying. But in this in this situation, I think it's like really intriguing. The way it yeah. leaves you in that kind of vague it's more space. satisfying,
0: right? If you do it if you do it right, it's more satisfying than laying it all out. Um, so that was one question I'd be interested to see, and I'm sure like Foosball would be like, "You're totally wrong." You know, it's da 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 da. Yeah, but what is he? What apologize. is he? Uh, he's just the author, <laughs> right? Exactly. That's also another interesting point I think that can be made. Is that this is just a general point, not about this story in particular. Um, if this comes to mind with. Uh, maybe Lucas and the Star Wars movies, which you've seen now. But at a certain point, I, there, there's kind of a transition, I think, when you put your story out there um, and you release it to the public. In an extent, it's as much the public or the reader's or the viewer's story as it is yours now. Maybe it's even more their story than it is yours now, once you put it out there. And there, there is a kind of power in, in an interesting thing that happens, I think, as people lay claim to a story um, once it's out there and make their own interpretations of it. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: culturally... And it's, it's,
0: it's, let's think about, you know, think about, and there's there's some empowering things. I mean, look at, you know, a lot of the older movies that were people, you know, gay people may, took meanings from a lot of old films and said, oh, this is a gay character. This character's journey is something that I can make empowering even though there's nothing explicitly in the film that makes it about gay characters. My
1: favorite thing is when I'm reading an old book and they're using the term <laughs> queer to refer to strange behavior. However, yes. the strange behavior they're describing is men acting effeminately.
0: You know, there's a whole... Uh great studies of, of queer meanings and pre-haze code cinemas, That's fantastic stuff, we can get to that. This is
1: Alton Sinclair's um, The the, met, the Metropolis, who's one of the most homophobic characters I've ever, Alton Sinclair does not get near enough credit for being just a horribly bigoted writer, by the way, it's hilarious, <laughs> I mean, just read like, I mean everyone thinks like, oh yeah, the jungle, I mean like people getting killed at the factories, it's so awful like I actually like, read the text mm-hmm. sometimes, there's just so much like racist imagery actually in it, it's fun
0: yeah well, that's one of the interesting things. It is weird, you know, when we read authors that we admire um, who, you know, for one thing, and then they do something else that's totally repugnant. Uh, but, it's always bizarre. It's a weird feeling. Or, like, uh, there's a whole big to-do. It's not quite this repugnant. Week. I don't know if you it's... followed this at all with Orson Scott Card.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it's not, like, an Orson Scott Card level of repugnance. It's just, like, this, like, old-timey-o. Right. Like, early 1900s, people had totally different sets of values. Yeah,
0: that's true. I think you do have to look at things a bit through a historical lens there. Um, But yeah, the Orsus Cut Card thing, I don't know. What did you think of that?
1: I had no idea who he was before, so when I found out he Mm -hmm. was this homophobic science fiction writer that's really popular, I thought, oh man, I bet I know a bunch of gay people who love his books that I could get to not like his books anymore. Yeah. I
0: look at yeah. this. And well, generally that's interesting it works about a, are... a one in three success rate, i found. Mm-hmm. There There are a couple of his books that I really do love. Um, and I've known about this about it for a while. And so there's Ender's Game, which is probably the most famous one. And that's a great book. I think his better book is the sequel, which is Speaker for the Dead, which I like as an anthropologist. Um, and I won't go too much into it. But it's interesting because it is such a compassionate an understanding book in so many ways.
1: Just not for queers. I I guess
0: that's the fascinating thing about this. Yeah, you know, it is such a, I mean, the book is about bridging divides and you need to stop doing that because the microphone's picking it up. Um, And, you know, the book is about communication and understanding different people and bridging huge divides of species and culture and yet here we turn around, you know, and turn out something crazily homophobic, you know, within your own species, within your own culture, within your own country. So interesting, you know, and I, I don't know what to make of that. Or how somebody makes one leap and writes so passionately about something and yet can't make a much smaller leap. And maybe because it is closer to home. It, it's that science oh my fiction God. You, is this distance this we the talked about last things? week. I I have had it up who to knows? here with who dudes who think
1: everyone's in the closet.
0: Well, there was a scientific study recently. Oh my goodness! I don't want these um, scientific
1: studies. I think I think gay dudes. So who, you don't believe in science. I don't believe no? in science. No, I think gay dudes who are so obsessed with like straight dude sexualities are insecure about their sexuality and they're where they're oh, straight. Yeah.
0: Probably. But no, there was an interesting scientific study where they were, you know, basically put arousal bands, which are kind of tension bands, around Mm -hmm. uh, guys' penises, um, and they had straight guys, bi guys, and gay guys. This is all self-identified, of course, Mm -hmm. because there's no machine to measure this stuff. Um, And they sat down and, you know, say, "We're going to show you some porn movies." Um, but first they asked the guys you know I said okay are you you know gay okay, or straight or by guys gave them their answer and I said do you consider yourself you know homophobic or and then they asked them a series of questions you know what are your attitudes about this and this and this to basically determine whether they were you know homophobic or not and the guys who were straight um, and not homophobic you know when they watched porn like they so they showed girl and girl porn, and they showed girl and guy porn, and they showed guy and guy. So the girl and guy, the straight guys, you know, got aroused by it. Um, When they showed the straight guys who were not homophobic, they got aroused by girl and guy. Um, When they showed guy and guy, the straight guys who were not homophobic, showed no arousal. Right. Um, The straight guys who, by their responses, uh, indicate, or even said they didn't like gay people, showed arousal to girl and guy and arousal mm-hmm. in I think 80% of cases if I'm remembering the study correctly to guy and guy so which and you know make of that what you will um, so I think I don't, no I don't, think, I, don't care if I, you, I will absolutely agree I don't. with you saying that not all straight people are gay but I think maybe a good percentage of the most vocal anti-gay ones may have some tendencies let's put it that way
1: is that really such a controversial statement, though? I, don't know. I just, the way I feel it is look, if you like, I don't care if passing a Richard Simmons VHS makes you pop a Woody, if you don't want to be gay, don't be gay. This is the best club I've right. ever been a part of, and you know what? There's the door. Don't ruin my time. <laughs> really? Um, I'm, I'm just all about the stuff <laughs> of that, look, it's, it, the way I see it is, if, uh, you're not self-identifying as gay. You're, you're essentially a, a null a null right. set anyhow. So I don't know why, why, yep. you, would wanna, why you would get the privilege well, of being counted in, in the data set. You know what I mean? That's the
0: point that I think could be made. You know, there was that senator a couple of years ago who was caught in the bathroom in Minnesota because he's an idiot. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know, there's a whole thing like, oh, he's gay, and he came out and said, I'm not gay. And he was right, I think, because... He didn't identify as gay,
1: if you're to bu-
0: or he doesn't identify. He's gay. He isn't doing the gay lifestyle, or he isn't part of the gay culture. Yes, he's sucking guys' dicks in a bathroom stall in an yeah, airport.
1: Yeah, but I'm I'm setting the standard for a gay. But that way doesn't higher than make
0: that. you. I think that means you have sex with men, but that doesn't make you gay. No.
1: I mean, we're raising our membership standards. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. We're sending out, like... I, I, we, right. we used to be recruiting, but now we have to kind of apply. We're, yeah, we're going to no, send okay. our membership... I think group it's, along. A, I think it's gonna...
0: a cultural thing. It's like the Freemasons, um, oh. basically. Yeah. So, uh, back to the story. No, I think there I'm was done story with that, here. though. I don't uh, have anything no. else to say about that. Let's wrap this shit up. No, 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 wait. I, I do want to say... I think the other thing that backs up that maybe this really is scarred, though, is... You know, it finally gets down to the, the pier... And he takes the dog tags, and he takes the dog tags and wraps them on the the little boat grommet, you know, or the boat tie-up. Right. It's not a grommet, whatever it is. Uh, The boat tie-up and hangs them there. And the boat isn't there. And he says, the family goes to the boat when things are bad or something bad has happened and they need to be together. Right. I think that implies, again, that, that Ebron is dead. That his family is has left and they need to be together. Um, because if it was actually his family, you know, they'd probably be there. Why would they be out on the ocean, you know, mourning or whatever they're doing if he was coming home? I see. Hmm. So, but I think you said, you said they may not know he's coming home, and obviously he didn't tell anybody. Um, either way, you know, and I, I, I guess this story, I really feel it captures so well um, the alienation he feels from everybody now, and and it really grips me, you know, it really tugged at my heart um, for this guy, Everin or whoever he is, you know, and it's like I want him to find help, but it's—it's it's a pretty bleak story. So, but he's young, so I hope that you know at some point he can, you know, find what he needs. So, so I mean, I guess I should say, did you like the story?
1: Oh yeah, I, I liked it because what I liked about it was it's not it's a war story that doesn't glorify war, which I feel, considering that uh, the conflicts in the Middle East are still so politically charged, you're liable to see a lot of production of literature that is openly glorifying the war, even mm-hmm. if it is making you know a tacit reference to the. The issues of of post traumatic stress disorder that our glorious warriors suffer with afterwards. At least this is completely peeling back, uh, you know that that kind of it's not it's not giving into that temptation of glorification, which
0: is right, right. Well, and I think you're right. Even a lot of our stories that are about the the horrors of war have you know terrifically exciting battle scenes and stuff. And there's you know to maybe jazz it up or get the pulse running. And there's nothing like that here. Uh, and I think, I think you're absolutely right in that uh, assessment of it and it makes it a, a harrowing story to read and, and one that you know hopefully makes people because um, I think as you're right it is parallel enough, it is close enough to what's going on currently in the world that it will you know, maybe make people think about things in different ways So, but yes we've got a little distance here in that it's a furry story so you could say oh well Think about these things without freaking out so much. Fur soldiers. Um, yeah, dog soldiers. There you go. Um, Worry furs. So, <laughs> oh God. Uh, so anyway, yes. Uh, Soren, thank you for reading it. Foosball, thank you so much for writing it. Uh, Jerku commented, "No, thank you at
1: all. You can leave." There's the door. What was it? Was it? Jerku commented, "No, thank you at all." There's the I, door.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I I actually, what I said to him was, you know, if you don't, if you didn't like the reading, why don't you read one for us? So put up or shut up. And and I will repeat that. So there you go. Um, Because it's not easy to do. And I want to see you do it and see how how perfect and lovely you are. Because I thought Soren did a great job.
1: Personally, I think we should encourage people to, you know, be readers for our book club by having them be nice to each other and be nice to them Yes, exactly. we shouldn't should exactly. reward this person for being mean, letting uh, him read stories
0: <laughs> well, uh, there, anyway, well I guess it was, it was a little passive aggressive yeah, I suppose, but uh, thank you so much uh, for giving us this foosball he come uh, uh, tube nominated one of his stories and uh, said oh go please ask foos because I love his stuff and so thank you too for suggesting it Uh, We'll be back in a couple weeks, and uh, I don't have anything else to do. Do you have anything else to say? Ciao,
1: everybody. Thank you.
0: Yes, and hopefully, uh, like I said, I think the sound will be okay. It'll be even better next time. This is our first remote, so it's an experiment for us, and we're sorry for the delay, but we hope you enjoyed it.